0: Ahoy there, and welcome to Sweet Child of 1899. Today we're recapping episode one of season one, The Ship. I'm Steve Barnes. You might know me from Sweet Child of Time. I recap uh, the Wheel of Time TV show from Amazon with my friend Marshland Monster. But now we're doing 1899. I'm with another friend. You might know him from the doom metal band Voidmaster. Voidmaster. And the song—he doesn't know this yet—but the song that introde us right in here, and you can hear it right now if you uh, if you listen. It's a song called "Cycles of Samsara," and with s- name titles like that, and titles like "Spellcrafting," and "Karma Bending," and "Chakra Weaver," you know I've got the I've got the right co-host for this podcast for sure. From Voidmaster, he's Nate. Hello, Nate.
1: Hello, Steve. How
0: you doing? I'll kick it right back to me. I'm doing fine. Thank you very much. I've been watching some 1899, like just now.
1: <laughs> me too. Me too. Very excited to talk about it.
0: Well, first off, like, uh, did you like it? That's just the first general question I'm going to ask you.
1: I do like it. And I'm going to say it's almost as dense as I am. There's, <laughs> there's a lot of things that happened in an hour. And there's a lot of very serious, but also very, uh, goofy questions that I'm going to have for you <laughs> today.
0: I have some goofy questions myself and we're both just going to ask them to the wind, I guess. All right. <laughs> I mean, I'm liking what I'm seeing. Remember last episode, we were just kind of guessing what, you know, things were based off of nothing. Now we have some, some actual concrete ground we can guess some stuff off of, um, you know, is there anything that, like, jumped out to you that you thought was, like, the coolest or, like, a neat character or, like, a neat shot? Anything, like, off the top of your head that you, uh that stuck out?
1: So, the first thing is going to be very basic. And it okay. is the intro sequence, the, with uh, the White Rabbit song and things mm-hmm. like that. But the design of the intro is very similar to a game called Death Stranding. And it's very... Uh, it's got like psychedelic notes, which obviously is accented by the Jefferson Airplane song. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's very similar and it's very uh, mysterious and eye-catching. And I know that it happens, I think the intro comes in maybe like six, seven minutes into the actual show, but it furthered my interest for it because I made that connection and uh, I just really liked it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Cool. I liked kind of like the muted color palette of it, just like the kind of look of it. And I like the kind of the feel of the characters that felt like real people. Like we tried to watch this show um, on Amazon called the peripheral and it's uh, I, I, I tried like two or three episodes of it, but just the characters just, were not dense. Um, The characters were just kind of like, I don't know, the storyline was basic. It just didn't catch me. And this immediately catches me just because of, um, you know, how connected I feel to the characters already. And I just love like the, uh, the way we're seeing these overhead shots of the ship and the water. And I'm just liking the cinematography of it and the feel of it. So I already know it's a show for me just based on based on the cinematography. So I'm ready for it.
1: I will say that it is shot beautifully. Uh, it is a little bit of a dark show. I did have to turn the lights down when watching it. <laughs> quote, unquote, dark, right? Yes, quote, unquote. <laughs> um, but I guess the first big question that I'll actually have for you is, did you do anything with the subtitles or audio at all because excellent question um i started watching it and maybe got the first 15 minutes into it before the dubbing isn't bad because i think it gives you the most readable and basic understanding Mm -hmm. uh, of what what the dialogue is at the time but my roommate had pitched To change it to, I think it's just just regular English is what it's listed on Netflix, English CC. And it gives you everything, but I guess it's a more accurate translation of what they're actually saying. And I feel like it gave you a better uh, understanding of what they were saying. And you could almost feel more about what was occurring because it was... Closer to the actual dialogue.
0: Yeah, so let me make sure I'm hearing you're right. So you're saying that um, that Mara was speaking English, and that the the two brothers were speaking actually Spanish, and the two women were actually speaking Cantonese. That's what you were hearing coming out of their mouths, but you were reading the words across the screen. Is Correct. that right? Correct. Yeah, that's that is the way you should be watching it. That's the okay. way I mean, you can watch it just in dubbed English, and like th- the way you know you're watching it correctly is if you look at all those different options it has in the Netflix category, one of them will say original, and so that's going to be like the whatever the uh, intended language was. In this case, it's English original, and then they dub all the rest of the languages. If you mm-hmm. watch the TV show Dark, it's a German show. So I started watching it in dubbed English and it just, <laughs> it was such a different show. I, it, I thought it was goofy, but when I watched it in German, listening to them speak in German, but I was reading the English words, it was a much, that's when the show like got better for me because you got a better feel for the characters and their tics and how they talk. Um, dubbed English just doesn't, I don't know, it can work for some people. Some people need that but I would recommend the the English parentheses original. You got it, man. Good deal. All right. Um, yeah, let's um, just start going through this thing. First off, um, we were talking before we started recording that um, I have a wife that's watched all of these episodes, but she is keeping mums the word. She's not telling me anything. Um, and you have some roommates that are Might be skipping ahead of you too, but you and I are taking a a vow of chastity (laughs) where where, we're not going to get involved with spoilers each week. We're just going to watch each episode and take in that. My Facebook group that I um, advertise this podcast on, I had to leave that Facebook group for the next two. I did the little thing where like you mute the group for like a month. Because um, they openly talk about spoilers in that Facebook 1899 group. So I had to unfortunately leave that. The Reddit group that I'm part of, which is also just, you know, R1899. A uh, lot of spoilers there, except for you're required to, you know, do spoiler tags um, on your posts. So I'm not looking at any spoilers. I am doing research. Like, for example, I had to do a little bit of research on our two women Ling Ling Ling, Ling Yi and Yuck to figure out their languages so I had to do some research there but other than that I'm not looking up show info other than the actors names and the character names and just the basic stuff that's my vow do you let me see your hand up in the air Nate do you hereby attest to the vow as well
1: I solemnly swear
0: (laughs) All right, so we're starting our show off here with an uh, Emily Dickinson poem. This poem is called uh, The Brain is Wider Than the Sky, and it's a poem about how the brain is wider than the sky and deeper than the ocean. Um, we see some overhead shots. We see like a castle at one point, I think, and then we see a black pyramid, and I did a little research on on a black pyramid, and I don't think this black pyramid is in our world, is it? That that one that we saw. Yeah, because I looked up the Aminahat Pyramid, which is the black pyramid, but it's like in disrepair. It looks nothing like this nice black pyramid looked like. Um, And of course, there's the Luxor in Las Vegas, and that is not the Luxor. I'm guaranteeing that it's not because Las Vegas was not around the perimeter. So I'm pretty damn sure. Oh, (laughs) I wanted to say earlier at the beginning, too, we're talking about the things we liked about the show. And I said the cinematography. I mean, I know we'll get to it, but the Captain Ike's coat, that jacket, that stole the show. That was the best thing about this series so
1: far. I, I admittedly turned to one of my roommates while we were watching it. And I said, "I gotta get myself a coat like that," and he goes, "You can't pull that off." <laughs> so, I guess I can. I guess I can dream, but same. Don't, don't let your dreams be dreams, like that Shila Buff guy said.
0: <laughs> I mean, I see the jacket like that as like my white whale. Speaking of ships, you know, it's like I'll never catch it because I, you know, I wear hoodies all the time. I'm wearing my work hoodie right now. That's what I wear all the time. If I get cold, I wear two hoodies. Um, I need a cool jacket like this guy's jacket. I'm 50 now, and I'll I'll never find it. It is a white whale. <laughs> 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 let me get back to the, the on hand here uh we see a cool whirlpool at one point and when we see that whirlpool that's when we go into like our actual first scene and we're seeing uh mara she's it looks like a dream of hers she's keeps saying that she's not crazy even though she's seems pretty damn crazy but she's saying she's not crazy let's try to believe her um She's shouting about her brother on the Prometheus. Uh, what have you done with him? She's talking to quibern here. You've seen Game of Thrones, right,
1: Nate? Uh, unfortunately, no. Just the first, oh. se- just the first season, and then I well, just this, uh, I couldn't okay. finish it.
0: Well, that guy that goes, "Wake up," to Mara. There, he's a. Uh, he also played quibern in Game of Thrones, like seasons five through eight. And he was also in, we talked about Andor last week. He plays a key character in Andor as well. So he's a Star Wars guy. He's an 1899 guy. He's a Game of Thrones guy. He's a cool guy. But we don't see him anymore. Um, We see Mara wake up in her room. And she is in room 1011 again. It shows that room number on the door of like her dream that she was having, where she was being psych warded and then the door of her uh, her cabin is also 1011 binary she's got scars on her wrist i think she's a depressive she's hearing voices i don't know why she does that but she reminds herself of the date of who she is um at this point do we see yeah she picks up that letter and on the letter it's addressed to henry which it's clearly not her um which I was thinking maybe that's why she was reminding herself that she's Maura. Maybe she's Henry and she forgot. I don't know. Um, but she, let's see, she has to find out what their father did and trust no one. Just like um, Scully and Mulder. Yeah, that ship is rolling coal and we go right into our intro. The White Rabbit song. You were saying something about Jefferson Airplane, but this ain't no Jefferson Airplane.
1: No, isn't it originally a Jefferson Airplane song?
0: Oh yeah, of course. Absolutely. Redone by everybody, every bar band in the world, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it this kind of reminds me of like a PJ Harvey kind of thing, or maybe like Emma Ruth Rundle. But it's not. It's just um Elliot Sumner and Ben Frost. No idea. That's who does this version. I don't know who they are, but they did a hell of a good version. Just another bar band. Yeah. (laughs) all right first uh, and we're going to run through the credits just real quick because we don't really know much at this point um obviously these statues are going to like represent our characters and we see a captain and we see a bunch of geisha dolls um we see these two figures like outstretched to each other and they're i'm thinking maybe that's the captain and mara perhaps we see the boat going in and out of like, uh, different dimensions, I guess. Like you were saying, it's, it's a pretty great intro. It reminds me more of like Westworld. um uh, we see a dude with a bowler hat. I was, I wasn't sure who that was until second watch. And I realized that's Kester, the dude with the scar on his face. And then we see the little creepy staring boy, the little cabinet boy. We see a little image of him as well. Um... And yeah, from this point, we go right to the belly of the ship and we see those Stokers doing their work, um, talking about the Prometheus. Everybody's talking about the ship from four months ago. They, they're they kind of racist to this dude. Like, hey, Polak, get up there, fix it. He goes up there and he hears some creepy noises, which, you know, we know now it was nothing to worry about, but he was worried a little bit. Taking out the picture of the Eiffel Tower, not the Eiffel Tower. What was that thing? The Statue of Liberty? Mm-hmm. god bless america he was dreaming of america soil i hope he gets there Olek, but for right now he's just working in the coal um i don't know anything so far
1: nate no no i don't believe so
0: all right we're gonna go above deck then um where they got all this fancy food uh, and they're talking about the prometheus too everybody's talking about that prometheus This is our first meeting of Clements and Lucian, the lovely couple. Let's see. Oh, yeah. They're talking about, I think it's Clements that's saying, you know, what are the chances of like another ship like, you know, sinking right now? Like, we're all good. It's a fantastic point, Clements. I think the best time to visit like a restaurant, like an IHOP or something is after they fail an inspection and they get shut down by the Department of Health. They open up the next day. That's the best day to go to IHOP. And, and you know you're going to get some good service. I mean, the manager's going to be kissing your ass, and the food is going to be impeccably clean.
1: That's all. <laughs> all you, we just compared a boat to all you can eat pancakes. So
0: <laughs> they do don't th- on boats. It is like all you can eat pancakes for the most, all you can eat everything. Yeah. Hey, this is a good time to ask you have you ever done a
1: boat cruise before? No, 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 no. My mom is a huge cruise person. That's like her getaway every, like every year up until at least COVID. And she loves it. She comes home and it's apparently very luxurious, but I'm not a big fan of deep water. So.
0: Yeah that when Ike was talking about, yeah, it's like 4,000 meters deep right here. Mm-hmm. Like, gee, yeah. I'm not a boat person either. I've never been on a cruise ship. I've been on like a boat, like in um, like Manhattan Bay. We did like a little boat thing over there and, you know, we've done boats in lots of different places. That's the most memorable one I can think of right now. Cause it was like, you know, like maybe like 12 of us on board, but those cruises, I mean, I hear about those metal cruises and stuff that like Lamb of God does. And I know Gwar is starting to get involved in that. And that seems interesting, but I don't think it's worth it to be on a boat. I don't know. What are your thoughts about that? Like if like four of your favorite bands were like doing a cruise, a week cruise, and they were doing shows every night. Uh, it's going to be a
1: huge no for me. We go, to the, <laughs> <laughs> we go to the lake every year. So like I've been on small boats, you know six to eight people on a lake that's probably no deeper than like 90 foot at the lowest <laughs> sure. point. But <clears throat> I mean, Christ, I go I go over to Ocean City or Atlantic City in New Jersey, and I can't feel my toes touch the sand at the bottom. And I'm like, I got to go. I got to get out of here.
0: Yep we're on the same page. Yeah. (laughs) We, we, uh, took a boat. I remember one now, uh, when me and Heather were either, I'm pretty sure this is when we were in Florida and we went snorkeling on a boat and there was a whole group of us that were going snorkeling. And, uh, I kind of had a panic attack under the water. Um, just because I did (laughs) because it freaked me out and I had to go back above, um, to all the people, you know, the people, the crew guys that were like, you know, they were planning on like nobody being up there for like an hour. Everybody like looking at the coral and stuff, but instead like, you know, anxious Steve has to come up and have a panic attack.
1: <laughs> it's scary, man. It is. It's very scary.
0: All right. Where were we at then? Uh, we uh, meet, I I thought her name was Ling, but my wife says she's Ling Yi and yuck. And we see that she's a proper geisha, but this is what remember what I was telling you last episode like I heard that there was some kind of like anachronistic thing with her. The anachronistic thing was that these two women were at the table um speaking Cantonese. But she's supposed to be a Japanese geisha, so they should be speaking Japanese. Instead, they're speaking Cantonese here. Um we found a little out more about that later, but um yuck the wiser older one just says Just act like you know what you're doing, which is fantastic life advice anywhere. Just blend in. I mean, as long as there's no immediate danger, just act like you know what you're doing and you'll get along just fine. Don't look around a whole bunch with big eyes just because I've been that person and I've learned to just blend. (laughs) Have you ever been in a situation where you had to do something like that? Act like you were going along when you really had no clue what was happening. Can you think of any situation?
1: I'm pretty sure that happens when I show up to work every day. <laughs> I just Absolutely, dude. I just roll in <laughs> and uh, just pray that it's three o'clock already. Heck yeah. All
0: right, I'm going take a break before we keep going. All right. Just one second here, Nate. All right. All right, and we're back. That was brief. Uh, we're still here at dinner, though, or breakfast or whatever we're having. I think it's breakfast we're having here, right? That's right. And uh, Yeah, yeah, breakfast, brunch. And on a cruise ship, you just do whatever you want. I mean, hey, baby, all food all the time. I don't get the sense that that's, that's what's happening here, but on our modern cruise ships, you wouldn't have guys like Jerome starving. He'd be fine. But <laughs> at any rate, let's go back. Uh, Lucian is checking out Ling big time. I mean, it's understandable that like, you know, she's dressed up in full geisha gear. um, So of course she's going to catch her eye, but he was, he was creeping her out a little too much right in front of his wife. That was (laughs) a lame move. Um, And I think around now is when we have Mara enter in with all of her voices and and craziness. I, I, Mara's great, and she brings all these voices with her, too. We meet Angel and Ramiro. We got Angel talking all loud. Uh, They're like opposite guys. Uh, Angel's the one in white, and he's kind of loud and, I don't know, doesn't seem to mind being himself. And then we got Ramiro, who's all dressed in black and seems really nervous and reserved, and we know he's a priest. Um, anything about those guys before we go on?
1: Nothing that I think I want to bring up right now. We'll wait until we get to it.
0: Okay. Uh, we're going to meet Virginia then. Uh, you know, I love, I'm a Virginia boy. You know, I love Virginia and she brings that gossip, that good Virginia gossip. She's talking about what they're saying about Mora. They talk about her studying brains, you know, back in the cabin, I didn't mention that that's what Mara was looking at at the time. She was looking at brain books. So she's all into the big brain theory. And Virginia is (laughs) all excited, like, oh, you cut the brains up. Like, that's not how you study brains. (laughs) You don't cut them up and study them that way. I don't think Virginia quite understands how (laughs) psychology works. (laughs) I mean, she seems smart, but not that smart, I guess. She reminds us that women can't practice being doctors. They can only study being doctors, or that's what's accepted right now. She points out another doctor across the way, Dr. Murray, with his mutton chops and real dumb, dumb kind of dude. You can tell the way he's eaten that he's dumb. I mean, sometimes TV shows will give you those kind of hints. Maura tells Virginia that the secrets of the universe are in our brain. We just need someone to decipher it. And Virginia is also a pretty good, you know, she's a gossip. so She has to study everybody, but she's pretty clear about she, could, she picks up on people's vibes pretty well. She's pretty keen about what people are up to. But then everybody takes that synchronized sip of their tea. That was very sus, I thought. That was some dream stuff to me. What did you think? Definitely some, some dreamy vibes. I mean, that newspaper I read, that, that preliminary material was all about dreams and was like shoving dreams down my throat. So... I'm having strong dream vibes, especially right there when they take that sip of that tea. Uh, And you can't miss it. I mean, it's, it's very blatant. It's not like a, you know, blink and you miss it kind of thing. It's like a stare, scare at the stream for five seconds while they do it kind of thing. Uh, Then we get Kester runs in though. Kester, the Danish guy with the bowler hat. um, He runs in looking for a doctor. And at first viewing, I thought it was kind of weird how like they dragged him out of there and not I didn't realize that there was a class system happening where like the first class and the second class or the upper class and the lower class we will say, um, can't interact with each other. And I didn't realize that on this scene. I just thought it was, again, I thought that was a big dream thing that they would drag this guy out screaming and nobody really pays much attention except for like Mara and Angel. You definitely see Angel catching this guy's eye. They, they kind of eye each other. Um, but he's calling for a doctor in his own language. Um, the doctor doesn't go. Mutton chops. He's still eating his bread. So Mara goes. And down there on the lower deck, they're giving birth. I saw about, I don't know, 50 like lower class women down there. You don't think any of them have like been a midwife or have been part of a pregnancy before or have helped they they were all just standing helplessly aside
1: like oh what did we do <laughs> maybe it was the language barrier
0: yeah yeah but Although still i mean that's for the, the rest
1: hmm? i was gonna say for the rest of the show that that doesn't particularly seem to be an issue so
0: well, they are Danish and I, I don't think there's a whole lot of, da- I'm not sure if there's other Danish people on board. I know the family that we're talking to, the woman who's pregnant, the guy with the scar, the little girl and mom and dad, they're Danish. Mm-hmm. Everybody else, I don't know, but I mean, every woman can look at another pregnant woman and <laughs> I don't know. It just, it just seemed odd to me that like nobody was helping except for Mora. Mora rushes in. To save the day, man. See, us depressives and neurodivergence, we have our Ooh, moments.
1: I got one for you. So if she's studying psychology, maybe this is just an example of the bystander effect. The bystander effect? What do you mean? So if you're in a crowded place and someone starts calling for help, it's more likely that no one will help you because they're putting the importance of that on someone else. They go, well, I don't have to help because they'll help. Uh And that person is thinking, well, someone else will help. I don't have to help. And then eventually nothing gets done.
0: Right. If Mar didn't run down there, I wonder what would have been done. I mean, the baby's, the the umbilical cord was around the baby's neck and she did her like chiropractic readjustments to make that not happen. But if she hadn't been there, it, it might've been a blue baby bad scene you know I my could. co you know my co-host was a blue baby did you know that he with james marshland monster he was born oh. with an umbilical cord around his neck
1: <laughs> really
0: yep he talks about it on his podcast he tells a more like succinct story about it but that's that's immediately who I thought of when i saw that and they were talking about the umbilical cord thing i was like no don't yeah. be a marshland monster or maybe <laughs> no yes do be a marshland monster so that it lives we want this baby to live, obviously. But yeah, she does the thing. She uh, she helps out. That's another thing, too. Like, nobody was even offering the poor girl, like, any comfort or anything either. I don't know. I just didn't like that scene. And maybe that's a dream thing. I don't know. But it seems like that's not what a crowd of people would do with a pregnant woman there. Let's go back to the coal mine. We're going to meet our stowaway. We know this guy is Jerome and we know he's barefoot and we know he's a stowaway obviously he's sleeping in the coal conveniently enough the first door he goes to is unlocked also has a jacket right there for him so i think jerome will be okay for the for the short term but for right now we'll leave him and we're going to go on to mm, mm, some uh some sexual action clements <laughs> and lucian like, at first, when I saw this, I was like, "You know, this couple's like they're you know they're in love because you know, after breakfast on a cruise ship, these are not really ideal conditions for sex, but but they're doing it anyway, um but it's pretty obvious it's not great sex. I don't even know why they're even bothering having sex because it seems like the dude doesn't even want to be touched or something. I don't know." Arranged marriage, eh? He blames her, like typical, right? Guys haven't changed. Well, no, we did. Two thousand nineteen, like we we became woke then, so we wouldn't do that now, right? We'd be very respectful. Is that when we became woke? <laughs> That's right. You and me, remember? Oh. <laughs> I'm talking out of school. But yeah, this he's blaming her for his impotence or whatever problem he's having. Um, and she's got those, those cool triangle earrings. We're talking about triangles a lot. And those earrings were... I'm sorry that she was having this rough time and I was looking at her earrings. But that's what I was doing, was looking for triangles. And she also had that little smile on her face too. So like she's playing this guy, right?
1: It's hard to kind of tell what she's she's really doing i mean i think that there is some kind of game that she has the upper hand on but there is a couple moments where she looks genuinely upset at what's going on
0: well she probably wishes he would play along and be decent you know and just be a nice guy
1: that's that's true
0: they gotta they gotta coexist so it kind of sucks that the person you're coexisting with is being openly like aggressive well, that was a nice noise don't do that again
1: <laughs> sorry my head itched
0: <laughs> all these speaking of noises those the um, the orchestra music that plays whenever we see Clements and that warpy warbly um, I thought something was wrong with my TV at first but then I realized that they were doing that warpy music on purpose I took notes <laughs>
1: I'm going to have to take notes
0: next time. No, I mean like I took notes on like how to do that. So I can do that in my own music, make it all warpy uh, and warbly. Oh, uh, but yeah, it's obviously it took eight pages of notes here, Nate. So, oh <laughs> so hang tight. God. <laughs> all right. We're going to go back below deck here. Um, back where, yeah, we have the little Danish girl. She's interrogating Mara, asking her about children. Um, she touches her stomach and then you see like a real quick flash of a green beetle, green scarab, green beetle. I don't know. Um, I looked it up though. That is one thing I did look up and those green beetles or green scarabs represent fertility. So it makes sense. A little girl like touched her belly and then she got a glimpse of like that green beetle. Um, but she says she can't have children. Do we believe her? I don't know, but that's what she says. Um, Oh yeah, this is great. Then the dude comes, the brother, we know his name is Kester now, um, offers her that cross upside down. Did you notice that that cross was upside down when he handed it to her? No. Like black Danish metal
1: style. Ooh, there we go. Some Demelik, I think is Danish.
0: (laughs) See so I saw that eighties upside down cross and I was thinking about the eighties when it was evil. Um, but then of course, according to the Bible an upside down cross means like a humble servant. It comes from Peter. And so it was more of a sign of humility, which makes more sense with this scene. Like she just helped out. I mean, he just handed her the cross. We saw it as upside down. I'm taking that as a symbol of like humble humility. Um, they, but she gets a flashback though. She sees that and she gets like that quick flashback to Quibern from game of thrones. That same guy from the beginning that tells her to wake up. Uh, his name is Anton Lester, by the way. Um, renowned actor and I'm calling him Quibern but that's probably what I will call him. She has a lot of flashbacks. This is where she starts having a real freak out. The flashbacks in order <clears throat> would be the green beetle, then she had the flashback of the uh, Quiburn. Then she had a flashback of the room number, 1011. Then of her being tied up. Then a flashback of her getting a shot needle in the neck. Then the next one is like of her having sex, like, like good sex. And then the last one is a shot of the Black Pyramid. Then she goes out to the deck and she's like freaking out. She grabs her little pyramid locket, which has a little pyramid on it, which is very obvious to everyone. That comforts her. And then who comes to comfort her? It's Mr. Ike Larson. Not Eric Larson, Steve. It's Ike Larson. We know this now. Uh, He comes into focus, like, literally. You see him all, like, dreamy-like, and then he snaps into focus. It looked like his coming to her... Look like a dream to me too. Like, sometimes when I have a dream, I my dreams, I'll see somebody with a fuzzy face and then their face will take shape. And that's exactly what happened here too, which dreams. <laughs> he's got that scarred face. You can tell he's been through about a lot of shit with that jacket. <laughs> this is when the jacket really shines here. He's got that collar flipped up. The button's going, man. Okay. He's got a bottle of booze in his pocket too. When you got a jacket like that, you you put a bottle of booze in your pocket. and Complete the look. (laughs) But you know, like this scene, despite how cool his jacket is and how cool he is, he was like kind of like doing this weird like lurking behind her kind of thing where she's like looking out at the sea, but he's kind of like, in her like peripheral, just kind of looming back there. And it really made me think about, (laughs) I'm going to get political. Maybe think about the 2016 presidential debates, Clinton versus Trump. And I remember there was a scene of like Clinton and she was talking, she was saying something and Trump was like pacing around behind her. Like, exactly like Ike's doing right here. Trump was, like, pacing around behind Clinton as she was doing her speech. And it was really unnerving. And then me and my wife were, like, noticing that during the speech. Or, I'm sorry, during the um, debate. And then, of course, like, that weekend on SNL, SNL spoofed it. And they had to, like, do, like, a joke about that exact same thing. So, it wasn't just us who thought that was strange. And they, I think this stole this show stole that moment from Trump and Clinton I think they owe some back ends to those two for like some, uh, some creation rights anyway. Um, he reminds her the rules shouldn't be challenged that the first class or the, the, the classes shouldn't mingle. And he says that there's rules around here. You got to follow the rules. She's like, <laughs> who made the rules and to whose benefit are these rules? Which is a damn good question. Uh, the same question I always have, basically, whenever I'm confronted with a rule. <laughs> yeah, right at this moment, the captain gets the message. Something's happening. His two guys show up. They say every 20 minutes. No, they say it's been going on for 20 minutes. The same signal, the coordinates. They say all this right in front of Mora. She's right there with an earshot, so she can hear everything they're saying. So, obviously, this is... Of great interest to her because she's looking for her brother who's on a ship lost out there. A couple things I noted about that letter, I paused it and I looked at it. <laughs> and it is dated October seventeenth, eighteen ninety-nine at ten thirty-seven AM. The coordinates are forty two point zero four north and forty four point five seven west. Falls squarely between, you know, Europe and America. Pretty much right in the middle there. Oh yeah. Okay. So they go up to the, uh, to the, whatever room the captain hangs out in. What do you call that? Captain's galley, maybe? Oh, that's called the bridge. Oh, the bridge. Oh, like Star Trek. Okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So they're at the bridge. Uh, we find out this thing is 18 knots away and he thinks it's odd that it's there because if it was, if it was the ship they were looking for, the Prometheus, it should be in a different place. Um, So they're wondering how it ended up there. I'm thinking, based on this show, hey, a portal, right? An otherworldly dimension. Simple. So, yeah, I solved it. Uh, Let's see. It's going to take seven hours to get there. The captain's immediately, immediately like, do it. it. There's like no question in his mind. Like, we're doing this. It sends the coal crew, however, into a frenzy because when you make a decision like that, it affects the entire boat. I mean, of course it affects your passengers. We'll get to them in a second, but first it affects the guys below deck. Now on a big cruise ship like that, they have like these computerized stabilizers. So like the stabilizers, like counteract like the waves and whatever for ships. These guys are the stabilizers of the ship. They have to like control each furnace. So they got to put in overtime to do whatever they got to do here to make this turn. Um, pretty badass in a way like you know the old ways are the best ways they say i mean i don't know if that's true like this coal pit looked pretty dangerous to work but obviously it works um tube amps old ways are the best ways tube
1: amps that's where it's at you play a tube amp i do i do play a tube amp they are most certainly the way to go and they are also still the most dangerous way to go
0: (laughs) I guess that's true, but yeah, I agree. Um, I don't necessarily agree if these these old school like sweat conditions are the best, but um, yeah, we have computers to do that stuff now, but not these guys. You do not ask questions, Olick. Olick's all like, why are we turning the ship? Which is a logical question, but don't even worry about it. Just friggin' do it. And then the brothers. We see the brothers upstairs. They're the first ones to realize what's happening. First, we get a great quote from Angel, um, why don't you go have a little chat with God? <laughs> that, I don't know. I, I chuckled, I watched the show three times and I chuckled every time he said that. I loved it. I've already said what I thought about. I, I think this is speculation time about these two guys, and I'm gonna speculate that like I already said, I think Angel's actually the good guy with a better conscience. I think the other brother with the goatee and the black, I think he's the bad guy of the relationship. He's a priest or at least he's pretending to be a priest because at one point the brother reminds him you're supposed to be a priest, remember? Or at one point he says that like when the skipping ahead when they're like we need a priest on the boat to go investigate later and like let's take this priest with us. That's when like Angel's like you're supposed to be a priest. Anyway, um I think the goatee guy is the bad guy he's all shifty looking he has bad vibes angel i don't like him but he seems more chill and i bet you he's got a heart of gold
1: <laughs> let's see how that one plays out eh?
0: well for right now though um they're just chilling uh Rami- ramiro is the one who notices that ship turns he feels the turn feels the burn um they both get upset. They, they're they like, we can't go back. We can't go back. And that's when I started speculating about these guys is like how nervous they looked at this point. That's when I started thinking they killed somebody or something. Something went down where they can't go back for some whatever reason. And I'm thinking it's murder. I'm thinking they killed somebody or I'm thinking the dude in black killed somebody and the dude in white is like kind of helping them out.
1: I don't know. I'm going to say that there's a bigger theme to such that basic statement. We can't go back because I believe yuck says the same thing. Mm -hmm. We can't go back. And I didn't rewatch the episode, but I'm curious if anybody, I mean, if you have a note on it that more than just those two people had said it, but it makes me feel like there's a, a larger overarching narrative or plot point that we're going to get to it makes me wonder because has it said where specifically they're all coming from
0: um i did not write that in my notes i just know the nationalities of the people but no
1: it makes me think because we're on the the cerberus right mm-hmm. and Prometheus. we're looking for the prometheus just on a real basic level, those are both things that are involved with the afterlife in mm-hmm. Greek mythology. And I wonder if there's some, and dreams, we're talking about dreams. Dreams can get tied into death, the afterlife. I'm, I'm very curious to see if all that connects. Maybe maybe this is some kind of like, what is the movie? Uh, the Sixth Sense, like. They've right. been dead the whole time. Who knows? Right.
0: Yeah. I I did fancy that thought too, that this might be an afterlife kind of thing. I'm kind of sticking with the dream theory uh, just because so many things do seem dream like. But yeah, damn. I do get the sense that most everybody on this boat is trying to get away from something. Like they're not just going to New York just to like visit family or to get a job. There's all like these motives. There's
1: there's something else for each character.
0: Yeah. Can't wait to find out. So then we're going to go back down below. We see Tovi, I think is her name. She's the pregnant woman. She seems okay. Now little girl seems chill too. Uh, this little girl is cool. Like every time we see her, she seems smart. She seems like she's observing everything in the room. And she seems more than just like a little seven year old girl. She seems like
1: she's one of the children from the shining. She's terrifying. <laughs> you think so I, th- I get I get comfort from her i mean she is she is very intelligent. And she's very observant like they make a pretty good they do a pretty good job of of providing you that information. but there's definitely something off with her <laughs> and uh <laughs> I think that she's going to wind up being a much, because I don't really put a whole lot of emphasis on her in this first episode, Mm -hmm. but I think she's going to have to deal with what happens at the end of the episode, or she's going to be instrumental in really moving that section of the plot forward. Right. And you know, she does have
0: a lot more to do in this episode than you realize. That whole big panic attack that Mara had when she had all these flashbacks, that didn't start until that little girl touched her belly. That's when all that crap started up. Because she was, before true. that, she was just washing up, washing her hands. She was fine. Very True well here this solidifies your point this is the little girl's talking about ghost ships and like how this they'd all turn to shadows and like there was only shadows on board of the ship
1: they killed a whale (laughs) right isn't well isn't that it that she she said that the passengers killed a whale and like the spirits of the sea or something like that were upset with them and turned them all into shadows
0: right yep so See, I, I, be- I listened. Yeah. I mean, I believe her too. Like, did you listen and believe? Cause I did. Oh yeah. Oh, and we'll get there. Yes. <laughs> All right. I always
1: want to jump ahead.
0: <laughs> All right. Mara is re-inspecting her letter. It says what is lost will be found. That's what it says on the back of that letter she received, which is pretty great news. Um, she goes to visit Ike. And he is drinking and looking longingly at a family picture of which she is part of, it looks like. Uh, He once again reminds Mara that she's not supposed to be there, that she's overstepping her boundaries, uh, which could be significant. They discuss the chances of survival on the ship, which it seems that there is possibly a chance of survival that people could have survived for four months if they ration properly. She keeps a little bit of information close to the vest, though. She, not she, he asks her if she knows anyone on board, and she denies it. But it's a really obvious denial, and the captain knows it, and we know that the captain knows it. That's significant, I guess. But what's even more significant is that he's got that same letter that she has. Um, His is addressed to Ike, to him, Because the letter that she has is addressed to Henry and it says, you know, what is lost will be found on the back. He's got that same letter, same handwriting, same font. We don't see the letter inside, but something's tying these two together. We cut right to uh, Virginia. She's in her big green scarab dress. It looks a lot like that green scarab beetle. She looks like the Wicked Witch of the West here too, doesn't she? she certainly does did you think I mean that's the first thing I thought of when I saw her
1: I I honestly even before the Wicked Witch of the West I I thought she looked like a beetle so okay this the same color scheme at least yeah and absolutely tried to put those two together but we'll figure that one out I'm sure
0: right now though she's mad she's mad at yuck she's all like no talking. <laughs> she's like, cheer up, smile. Um, based on what I know from the, uh, well, I'll, I'll we'll talk about it when I get there because we get another scene with um with Ling and Yuck later that I'm going to discuss that. But Virginia's definitely helping these two out, but she's cracking the whip at the same time. I'm going to crack the whip here. And we're going to break Nate. Just one second, okay? We are back, and it's the time on 1899 where Captain Ike makes the announcement, breaks the news to all the passengers that he's the captain now. He's the captain now. He'll tell the cap. <laughs> He'll tell the passengers what to do. Uh, there's 1,423 passengers on that lost ship, and he's not going to let them just drift away. It's seven days to New York. I'm mean, yeah. It's I'm sorry. It's seven days to New York, so he's talking about 14 more hours to go investigate this ship, which seems completely reasonable to me. Um, but we were saying earlier, it's obvious these people are like running from something, and I guess they're desperately running because this detour is freaking them out. It's like almost a mutiny situation where it could it, these passengers could start at any moment going south. But this stoic captain, he's not taking anybody's crap. And he's just making his decision and he's sticking with it. Uh, let's see. <laughs> Lucian runs off to cry. Um, he goes out to the uh, deck and he does like the little uh, hack move where he loosens his collar so he can breathe better. Looks like he's getting ready to take out something. because his hands shaking and... After three times of watching this, I've realized that they're not showing us something here. So he runs out to the deck, he's freaking out, and he's getting ready to either take some kind of drug or maybe give himself a shot, perhaps. Or he's getting ready to do something when Clements comes up and he hides it from her, which is significant. And her attitude is, you know, two days, whatever, who cares? Uh, Which is my attitude, too. Like, I don't see how it would be a big deal that it's going to be two more days. And especially to them, it just shouldn't matter. But but he's freaking out about it. I like her, though, with her cool earrings. And she looks like Kate Winslet from Titanic. And I think that's a deliberate choice that they would, you know, because they could have cast any actress in this role. Um, You know, they had hundreds of people to choose from, and they choose one that looks just like Kate Winslet from Titanic. (laughs) I don't know if that means anything or not. I doubt it does. But that's who she reminds me of. And so, because I liked Kate Winslet in Titanic, I like Clements, too. She seems cool. And she seems like she's going to... Let's see, what did I write down here? I wrote down that she is going to game Lucian for his weaknesses. And... I, I don't approve of that type of behavior, but I like that in a fictional character. Alan, what do you think about Lucian and Clements here? Any thoughts?
1: Um, I think it adds, adds some drama. I did not pick up on, he was trying to hide something. So now I'm going to be on the lookout for that.
0: Yeah. Shaky hands. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. Yeah, their their music again. It seems like their theme music is that warbly warped music, which I guess just signifies their kind of warped relationship. Um, The ship farts. (laughs) Between every scene, the ship like farts. And we see Olick. He's like got a pretty awesome view. He's got a shit job, but he's got a great view for lunch at the edge of the water there. Uh, This is when Jerome approaches him. Super hungry, obvious, an obvious stowaway looking for some bread. I was talking last episode, we were talking about things we were looking forward to um, on this show. And this is exactly what I was looking forward to, where some unlikely team-ups. That was my quote last week. And this is it. Olik and Jerome. I think this is going to be our unlikely team-up. The Polish guy, the French guy, they don't speak each other's language, but they like each other. I think that's... I think this is going to be the the Olick and Jerome show. I'm liking it. We see some good shots at this point. And this is where they use that weird studio that I was telling you about. It's called, what did I call it? The Go back to my notes from last week. (laughs) Do you remember what it was called?
1: No. Is this the one where they essentially take it to...
0: Yeah, the volume. It's like a huge yes. set.
1: Yes, yes, yes.
0: And they have cameras like three sixty degrees around them so they can do these crazy shots. Um, and the font. I like the font of the Cerberus and of the Prometheus later. I think I might borrow that font at some point. But I, I just love the way the show looks, like the cinematography and the way they get these cool shots of the boats. If I didn't know about the volume thing, then I would just think that they were using drones. I mean, it would be the obvious way to do it, but I like the way they did it. In uh, <laughs> next scene here, Mara is like not hungry, and we just saw Jerome starving to death. and then Mara's like, "No, nah, I can't have my caviar tonight. I'm not hungry. Uh, no big She should have <laughs> sent that below deck to Jerome. It's the obvious choice. This is not <laughs> not a uh, class happy society. I think the system's broken. But anyway, no small talk. I was mad that she, I was mad she wasn't at dinner and I forgot where we were. I was thinking that we were in the food hall, but we're above deck. I know she's not having dinner because the captain approaches her. Captain Ike he's all like, why are you not having dinner? Why didn't you give Jerome your dinner? You selfish waif. And she's, you know, this is what I'm saying. No small talk. She doesn't like to talk about things like the weather and the Prometheus and crap like that. Like she doesn't want to have a worthless conversation. I can respect that. I think these two should hook up. I'm calling it. I like them. They're the Jim and Pam of the show. Well, no, don't don't do that. <laughs> They're the uh, the Sam that. and Diane. How's that? <laughs> All right. Or the Jack and Diane we will go old school. They look great together. They're the two stars of the show. They should hook up. I think they're going to hook up. I
1: guess we'll uh, we'll have to see.
0: This is where he tells... They
1: definitely Hmm? will. They definitely will.
0: Yeah. They're both hot too. So this is when he tells her like 4,000 meters under the sea, you know, this is like undiscovered ocean here. Ocean is definitely greater than space. Um, she's talking about brains and how big they are too. So yeah, I like these guys around this point is when we get to the midpoint of our show and we find out the ship. And you know, this happened last time that Ike and Mara were in this exact same spot. The telegram came up. We found the ship. Now they're in this exact same spot again. And they're like the ship, the ship it's there. So they're getting this big information information while they're in the exact same spot. Uh, They shoot up one of those big red rockets. Um, They get no response from the other side. I love the the red shading of this whole scene. It's like a nightmare. I was telling you last week how they were pointing out that nightmares happen in the second half of the evening or the second half of whatever. It seems like the second half of this episode is like a nightmare. Captain at this point reminds everybody that he's the captain he's in charge i'm the captain now he goes against all protocol he wants to go investigate the boat and leave gilligan in charge nobody's liking this idea uh, and again it's almost like on the border of mutiny almost where his crew is like openly disagreeing with him the passengers openly disagreeing with him but he's standing tall they decide to take the priest. And this is where um, Angel reminds him you're supposed to be a priest. And he goes with them looking nervous as hell. Speaking of The Office, this guy looks like Ryan from The Office. He looks, (laughs) you don't like The Office, but he looks just like Ryan. Anyway, Ryan with a goatee, he has to go off and uh, I, I don't blame him. I would not want, priest or not, I would not want to go on that ghost boat either but he has to because the captain says they go and they bust Olick and Jerome. They're not supposed to be where they're at. And that one dude's all mad at them. They get pretty tense. The captain though, decide he sees how nervous these two dudes are. And he decides, Hey, you other two lowly dudes, (laughs) y'all take their place. Um, I don't know. Weird call to make, but, Jerome is like the luckiest stowaway in the world. He gets accepted into this world and he gets to go on a cool mission, the adventures of Jerome. And he somehow, the way the dialogue goes, nobody really questions why he's there or anything. It's just he is automatically part of the crew. Are you with me so far? Do you have any, any thoughts before we go ahead?
1: No, no, well, I'm, I'm with you, but I don't have any thoughts. ever uh uh, most certainly not
0: i can't even see your eyes jesus dude okay all right um (laughs) all right angel is worried about his brother he's upstairs smoking this is a pretty uh pretty dreamy scene too this is when kester calls out to angel asks for a smoke and so you have a few things happening here. You have the upper class and the lower class um, coming in contact with each other. They have a physical barrier that's like between them. And it's just kind of like almost like a lucid dreaming situation. Like there's a few, not just that, not just the classes, not just the gate. But it's also like the disc, like he starts caressing the guy's like scar, which of course you wouldn't do that to a stranger. So that it's a breaking another barrier, like almost a physical barrier. And then just the fact that he's like lovingly caressing the guy's face. You got the two guys here doing that, breaking like a sexual barrier. So, like, this whole scene is all about like two worlds meeting each other and like the barriers that are broken. All that's happening is a smoke is being exchanged, but all this other stuff happens in there.
1: Ooh, maybe we'll get some Romeo and Juliet kind of stuff going on.
0: Yeah, up. Yep. Yeah, yes. He can't get involved with a lower class Danish kid. Come on, man. He's got to hook. If he wants to be like hooking up with a guy, he's got to. Pick one of these upper class guys, one of these, you know, I don't know, but I guess that that, that's wise though, to like pick like somebody like in a different class that way nobody would even suspect. It's probably the wisest way to go. Actually,
1: we are so woke. (laughs)
0: Let's see. Uh, we, again, we see that cool Prometheus font that I love so much, uh, they want to go on board for an hour. The captain says, we'll be an hour up there. That sounds like a long time, but I guess they have a pretty big ship to investigate. So I guess it makes sense, but I thought that seemed like a very long time to give them. He sends look up first, as usual, send the pole lock up to do all the dirty work. And the sauce boss, well, this is the guy that I call the sauce boss, the guy with the bald head and he's got the beard and he's like the angriest dude in the scene. Looks mm. just like a friend of mine, Andrew, the sauce boss. So that's what this guy's name from now on um, sauce boss is like, I've been here longer than this guy. And he's pretty mad about the whole fact that this other guy is going and he has to be the lookout, which I guess is like the, the lowliest position is to be the lookout. He's pissed off about that. Um, the captains again, just he's the captain. But in my opinion, the sauce boss is kind of like legitimizing Jerome By everything he's doing, he's like helping legitimize the fact that Jerome works there. He's like he's not questioning. Like I don't even remember you from like training. I don't remember you know who hired you. You know who did you talk to to get this job? He's just going along with the fact, and so he's kind of helping out Jerome by being such an asshole. So, hooray for assholes, I guess. (laughs) I don't know.
1: I I guess.
0: All right. So they, we realized that somebody sent a signal from that boat. So there must be survivors, but it doesn't look very survivor worthy. It looks pretty dark and dim. Um, once they get on board, the signal stops. The other guys are up in the, um, not the cockpit, the bridge, the bridge. <laughs> to the bridge, captain. The other guys are up on the bridge and the signal stops, which is weird. So they're walking through a creepy deserted boat and it's all creaking and creeping, like, reminded me of um, Iron Maiden's The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, if you're familiar. Mm-hmm. Yes, no? Yeah? this yeah. It was like the personification of that. Um, the one thing the captain finds is that blue ribbon flower thingy, which didn't look familiar to me. Did it look familiar to you at all?
1: No, but just hearing it, Now and putting it back together because he freaks out after finding it. Mm -hmm. I wonder if we went back and looked at, took a closer look at the photo. Oh. If it has something to do with someone in the photo.
0: I bet you it does. I I tried to look at the photo. I didn't really get a good look at it, but that's a cute guess. I mean, a cute like A-C-U-T-E. I'm not saying you're cute. I'm not that woke.
1: <laughs> I was going to say, I'm, I'm flattered, Steve. but <laughs> We'll just take it there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right. We got, um, Ling hates makeup. She's being a kind of a brat about all this crap. Um, yuck is setting her straight and we learned that they are learning Japanese. So their native language is Cantonese. So they're from China. About 10 years prior, like sometime in the 1880s, 1890s, um, a lot of like anti-China laws or a lot of anti-China just legislation went through and there was a lot of racism and hatred towards Chinese, but not towards Japanese. So that's why she's being a geisha and that's why they're not supposed to talk. That's why Virginia was being so strict. Like don't even talk because if they hear your accent is off or anything. So Virginia is actually helping them by being more cautious. Kind of sound like she was being kind of bitchy, but that's actually really good advice. Like if you're going to speak a language and you want it to be your (laughs) language, you're trying to get away with speaking like as your home language, you better speak it well. Okay. And then they have this little phrase that they say, um, if it's not okay, it's not the end. So they're going to make sure it's okay in the end. So I'm with them. I hope everything is okay. And then it can be the end. So season three of 1899 episode eight, the last episode, everything will be okay. I hope
1: it'll, it'll all be okay.
0: So they go up to the, the new bridge or not the new bridge, but the bridge of the Prometheus and the telegraph was destroyed. So the question is, you know, how was this signal sent if this telegraph was destroyed? Um, here's where I have a little theory about this. Uh, well, no, I'll, I'll, I'll say it in a minute. I'll go, because we're almost at the end here, like I'm, I'm on my last paragraph. So I'll definitely come back to that. At this point, uh, we see that this the thing was smashed. She, being Mara, finds another green beetle... On the boat. And she follows it. She follows it to a locked cabinet. We can hear there's somebody inside. She opens it up. A little boy comes out. We start hearing that boomer version of White Rabbit. The old one. And as we're hearing that. We see a guy. Swimming to our ship. And he goes to room 1011. So because he goes To her room, her being Mara, I'm thinking this guy must be her brother, I guess. Um, He goes next door to 1013. He's got a little pet green beetle in his hand. He puts it down, and it goes and unlocks the door like a nice green beetle always does, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) So he's next door. So I think that's her brother, and I think the sequence of events went like this. Whatever happened to the Prometheus, we obviously don't know, but we do know that there was a guy and the wet guy swimmer and a little boy that were on that ship. So I think the guy was sending the signal out the whole time until the ship arrived. When he saw the ship and it shut off the flare and he saw the crew coming, he, at that point, smashed the telegraph machine, took the boy, put him in the cabinet, locked the cabinet up, jumped overboard, swam to the other ship, went to room 1013. It seems like that's like the sequence of events that they're leading us to believe at this point. Because how else could the little boy have been in that cabinet for four months and how else could the signal been have been sent?
1: Well, there's a couple of things. One, the little boy uh, looked like a zombie—very yeah. pale—and I mean, he presents the object, the pyramid, and obviously, there's some kind of mysticism that goes with all of that. But I really think that the overarching question is why is the man so wet? When he gets to the room, he would have had to very obviously climb and be out of the water for a while, and he is still so wet. Like the water's dripping off of his nose That's and right. is dripping off. And
0: my roommates
1: and I all stared at each other and were like, we get it. You just swam a short distance in the ocean, but why are you so wet? <laughs> also, you're wearing like a le- like a like right. a wool a wool coat, and you got onto the boat, and no one was like, "Where'd you come from? Why are you so wet?" Nope. We're just okay with the wet man, <laughs> and what's even crazier is the wet man managed to pull a beetle out of his pocket. Or, <laughs> and I didn't even think about that. <laughs> what kind of? Look, I'm no uh, insectologist or entomologist <laughs> or whatever, whatever, what, whatever it is. But uh, I'm pretty sure that like – I mean I know you can put bugs in water and they're just – they're pretty tough and they're hanging out. But this is this is salt water in a wool coat that we got Michael Phelps swimming across <laughs> boat to That's boat. Right. And no one thought to ask, why are you so wet and why are you still wet? <laughs> so there's a there's quite a few questions going on between – between the zombie boy and the wet man and I want them I want them to be the official names for them until we figure out the real names that sounds next good to show, me. next show next <laughs> show I want it titled wet man and zombie boy
0: <laughs> well the next episode is called the boy um, for you and I though we'll, we'll change that to zombie boy we're fine I'm fine with that wet man I'm, okay I can answer a couple of your questions right off the bat now right. you, you said, how did he get up on the ship? Now they showed him getting up on the ship, the same place that Olick and Jerome were hanging out. So obviously that's like the cool guy area of the ship. That's like where you go to hide and like smoke weed and eat bread and look at your picture of Statue of Liberty and shit. So Damn kids. Yeah. So he, he, you know, he came up on the sneaky side, like where the, where the but, potheads are. So that's how he got in at-
1: there. Yeah, but, like, did he just dolphin himself out of the water? Like, was, is, because it shows him dramatically throwing his arms up there. So it's not like there was a convenient ladder. So, like, (laughs) what does Wet Man do that he, he's like, he's like discount well-dressed Aquaman that he was able to get up on this boat. So, I mean, hey, maybe next episode they, they pan back to it when they're coming back to the ship and you see a ladder and then you can connect that. If you're, you know, obsessed with something so stupid, such a minor detail like that, like I am, but I, I mean, we really had like a, a, a good conversation of how did you get here? <laughs> it's a long way
0: too. So yeah, he did. Michael Phelps it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I noticed the clothes. I noticed like as soon as he grabbed that ladder, he was, he was wearing that jacket, which is going to slow your time down significantly. They make you even shave your head. Like when you're a swimmer and shave your body hair to get your time. So this is what I think. I think that he had, he, he swam naked and he had his clothes in some sort of sack and he had it tied around his waist So he had all his clothes bundled up, not waterproof, obviously. That's why they're soaking wet. Mm -hmm. So he had it strapped around somehow, but he was naked. So that enabled him to swim better. The beetle. Where's the best place to hold something when you're underwater and you're naked and it's small? He had the beetle in his mouth the whole time. I bet you anything.
1: Wow, we are two different people, Steve. (laughs) What were you thinking was was in his butt? (laughs) I was thinking the old prison wallet. (laughs)
0: well i don't know i
1: I like your idea better though it's it's probably a little easier
0: (laughs) maybe a magic portal i think it's the magic portal theory no we saw him climb up the ladder because i was thinking like he magic portaled over to you know room 1011 but we saw him walk there and his nose was dripping wet maybe he had a bad cold or something he was like just snotting everywhere that's what we saw Ooh. Rewind didn't see if that's like disgusting mucus or if it's like actual, I think you're that's right why? though. He should not have been that. He's wet, man. He's wet, he's, man. He's, he's just too wet. I, he's sweaty. Maybe he was sweating his ass off. He's nervous. They haven't seen his sister in four months and maybe she's pissed at him. So he's nervous.
1: Like I got get, no, oh, she's going to yell at me. Uh, that's even worse. You're wet and nervous. Yes. <laughs>
0: Well, we're going to leave with those questions now, I guess. And uh, now we can finally go watch episode two, man. our Your roommates and my roommates, being like my wife, I guess, she's my roommate, will <laughs> be very happy with us that we can move on from episode one, finally. So I'm looking forward to it. Like I said, the episode is called The Boy. I know it. I know that so far. So I guess we're going to hear about Zombie Boy and where he came from and maybe where he's going. Yeah, I touched on every note I had, like as we went. So I don't have anything else here at the end, do you, Nate?
1: No, I think I think I was able to throw in enough enough of my questions and comments that I'm pretty prepared for episode two.
0: Heck yeah, me too. I'm gonna probably start watching it in about forty five minutes here, probably. But anyway, yeah, this has been great. Um, we're going to keep going. We're going to vow to stay, still be spoiler free. I'm not looking at that Facebook group. I'm not looking at the Reddit group. I will advertise on there, but then I'm going to quickly close the screen and not read anything. Um, if you want to write us or get in touch with us, uh, my email is sweetchildoftimepod at gmail.com. Um, This podcast is technically called Sweet Child of Time, so that's the Instagram handle, but you know you're listening to Sweet Child of 1899. You're doing the right thing. Um, Me, I'm from the band Intro Void, which you can find me on Instagram at intro.void. My co-host is usually James McCullum. He's the Marshland Monster, and you can find all of our podcasts at mlmpod.com. And all this music you've been hearing this whole time, and the breaks and at the beginning, has been the music of Voidmaster Nate, and he's the same guy I've been talking to this whole time. Hey, Nate, where can people find you?
1: Oh man, I guess wherever you want. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> um so you can find us on the Misconnections section of Craigslist uh, Grinder. <laughs> no, uh, you can find this at void.master on Instagram. Uh we're on all the streaming services. Uh Bandcamp, voidmaster.bandcamp.com. Uh Facebook, if I guess you really want to do that. But uh <laughs> Instagram's the best way to if you want to get a hold of us or you want to yell at us or whatever. So
0: yeah. Alright on. great. We'll have a nice band practice next couple of days. And for all our listeners, check back in next week. We'll be talking about Episode 2, The Boy, The Zombie Boy, that is. And Nate, over there in Pennsylvania, I hope you always find water and shade.
1: I hope you find water and shade too, Steve. I hope you mean that. (laughs) I'm just making sure I got it right. (laughs) (laughs) You did. Bye-bye. Take it easy.